I'm holding this two-inch nylon rope in my hands, and it's burning in my palms. My legs feel like they're on fire. About 100 yards down the end of this rope, there's a man screaming at the top of his lungs. Hold the line! And I am all the way in. I'm right in the middle of one of the most visceral and magnificent experiences of my life. And just about two hours before this moment occurs, I'd consider just staying home. Before I can tell you the rest of the story, I need to tell you a little bit about myself so you'll understand this. Um, I'm an anxious person. And then anxiety has cost me uh, dearly in my life. I've missed, I've missed a lot of very important uh, opportunities. Um, I'll give you an example. Let's go back about 20 years. I'm a freshman in college, New York City. I'm studying jazz. Now, music is my passion. It's the, thing, the one thing that I do that's more important to me than anything else in life besides the people in my life. And uh, me and my buddies go down to this club called Smalls, and we see all of our favorite musicians there. And they have an epic jam session that is sort of a coming-of-age experience to, to play on. And it's where you go to learn how to do this thing. And the only way you can do it is by trying it out. And we were all terrified to try it. But I watched all of my other friends eventually get on stage and get up in front of the bandstand and try it and make mistakes, but eventually get better. And even though... Music fills my entire being when I'm performing. When it came my turn and the man said, who's up? I could never seem to speak up. I could never take my turn on the bandstand. Instead, I'd sit there leaning on my guitar case and I hear this voice in my head and it says, you're too young, you're too square, you're too Alaskan, and you don't, <laughs> you don't belong here. And, uh, and I let that voice keep me planted in that chair. And I went back to that club a hundred times. I eventually stopped bringing my guitar. And to this day, I've never played one of the sessions. And uh, there's a thing that happens when you, when you chicken out in the face of fear. And what you're left with is a lot of shame. And so it's with that in mind, what you know that about me, uh, that we can move back to the present tour about a year ago. So uh, it's... It's uh, springtime in Barrow in 2014. I'm up there for about a week for work. And I'm living in a little apartment, and I get a phone call from the landlord. And he says, hey, man, you got two choices tonight. You got Stanley Cup championship hockey on the TV. Or you can drive down to the gravel pit and see them bringing in the first whale of the spring whaling season. He says, that storm that just blew through here? It took the sea ice out and did something with it that happens only once every 30 or 40 years. He said, usually the leading edge is five or six miles out. Now, if you go down there, you can walk about a half mile out, and you can take part in helping pull this whale in. And as we ended the phone conversation, the words that he said rang in my head. He said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now, at that moment, I'm just a little bit overwhelmed with you know, the reality of the situation, and, and, and I'm just excited, so I start... I didn't really come prepared to be outside in the Arctic, uh, you know, so I was looking around my apartment like, okay, pull on a pair of smart wool socks and uh, I better make a peanut butter jelly sandwich because it's going to be hard work. And then I'm <laughs> running, I, I pull on a pair of smart wool pants and then I pull my jeans back on and try to shimmy and then I go, I better make a pot of coffee. This might take a while. It's a big animal, you know. And <laughs> I pull on my pea coat. I'm like, call her up, call her down. I can't tell. I don't want people to think I'm trying to be cool, but I want to stay, keep my ears warm. And by the time I'm making my second peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I stop. I say, what am I doing? 
I'm running around in this apartment when I'm on the cusp of having this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss, you know, any amount of it would be too much. And that's when I hear this undercurrent. And there's this voice in my head, and it says, you're too city. You're too white. You don't belong here. This is not for you to do. And I start to feel that sinking, feeling of shame coming in, and it's real comfortable. And I start thinking about maybe I'm just going to stay home. Maybe I'll just watch Stanley Cup hockey on the TV. But before I went to Barrow, I had a conversation with my eight-year-old son, Miles. And I was telling him about the whaling season that was coming up and that they eat the blubber called muktuk. And he said, Dad, can you bring me some? And I knew that it would be impossible for that to happen. But I said, Miles, if there's an opportunity for me to bring you some, I will. And now I'm standing here in this living room and it's not just, it's not just mania anymore. I'm being faced with a real decision. And I'm thinking about going home to tell my son that I had a chance to get you some whale blubber and I didn't do it. And I thought about every opportunity that I missed and walked away from and walked out in shame. And I said, there's no way that I'm going to miss this opportunity. I hit my knees and I said a prayer. I walked out the door. I drove to the gravel pit. I walked out a half a mile on the sea ice. And when it was my turn, I picked up the rope and I started to pull. And all the time in my head is a voice that's very loud telling me to turn around and walk away, and that I don't belong, and that it's not my place, and that this is what everyone is going to be thinking as soon as I step in. And I just pulled harder. And I pulled until I had nothing left. I pulled until there was no bones and no blood and no muscle left, and the only thing that I was pulling on was fuel, that there was no way that I'm going to walk away from one more opportunity. And the harder I pulled, the more the thoughts came up, and the more... I felt vindicated of every single time that I had walked away from something. I said, I'd rather die than walk away from this situation right here. And after hours and hours of pulling, because there's a lot of whale to get out of the water, <laughs> somewhere in there, my head got quiet. And I looked around, and I saw that me and these you know, couple hundred other people had pulled this 40-ton sea mammal out of the Chukchi Sea with our bare hands. And in that moment, there was this abundance of energy. And the only way I know to describe it was like life was springing off of this whale. And I'm, knee, I'm ankle deep in whale blood, and it's staining my hands, and it's on my face. And in that moment, I'm just one of many. And we are doing something that's been done for so many, so many millennia. Uh, at one point, I pull about a 500-pound with help, <laughs> 500-pound piece of whale blubber back to the camp to be divvied up. And on the way back, a woman stops me, and she's holding a piece of cardboard and a pen, and she says, what's your name? And the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, I don't live here. And that voice is still there. Even it still comes. And, and she said to me, you help with the whale, you get a share. And what I learned in that day, in that moment, is that all of the things that go on in my head, all of these ideas, all the words that I come up with and reasons that I had to chicken out were all bullshit. And the only thing that meant anything and the only thing I ever had to do to be a part of was just pick up the rope and pull. Thanks.